0: Good morning. Welcome to Wednesday Morning Chapel. I want us to uh, say the chapel theme. Let's say it together. Every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's do it again. Every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. It's our privilege to have as our chapel speaker this morning, Reverend Stuart McQuirter. He is a tenured evangelist in the Church of the Nazarene. He has preach the gospel world over and in his preaching he takes you on those worldwide trips too. He exalts the Christ that we serve. He exalts the Jesus who is our elder brother and it is going to be our privilege to be a part of this service this morning. I want to begin with the scripture reading. Scripture reading for this morning is found in Luke chapter 1. Take your Bibles. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. Luke 1, 26 through 33 stand, and let's read together. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. The word of the Lord. Accept our praise, Father. Accept our praise, Jesus. Accept our praise, Spirit. It comes from our hearts. It's all that we have to offer you. Be honored we pray. By our praise, by your words, by your servant, by our hearts, for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Dr. McCourtney.
1: When God, when God got ready to do the greatest thing that God had done since the creation of the world and indeed something greater than the creation of the world when God got ready to send His Son our Savior into this world out of all the high bright glittering glimmering, shimmering angels in glory. God chose only one angel. His name we heard in our reading. His name is Gabriel. I don't know a lot about angels, but I believe in angels. I'm from the old school, I'm a certified theological curmudgeon and dinosaur and immensely proud of it and working on it fiercely. I'm from the old school, I believe in angels. I believe in real, actual, individual, personal, active angels but I don't know a lot about angels I don't know a lot about a lot of things and I find it easier as I'm older to say that when I was an 18 year old preacher I was almost omniscient (laughs) you really don't you really missed it not knowing me then somehow that near omniscience has rapidly faded and it's increasingly easy for me to frequently say I don't know I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where Cain got his wife. And really, confidentially, with no flippancy nor irreverence, I don't really give a hoot. (laughs) (laughs) Some of these questions people come to ask me in camp meeting and expect me to know the answers, you know. A little lady came up to me a few years ago, back in more legalistic days, and said to me, "Uh, Brother McWhorter, how should I fix my hair? I said, I don't know. And I thought to myself, please fix it. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know whether there's one or five Isaiahs. Uh, Moody asked a famous liberal preacher to come and speak, believe it or not, at his Bible conference and the preacher wrote back and said, you might not want me, I believe in two Isaiahs. Moody wrote back and said, most people don't know there's one so come on anyway. (laughs) I I don't know a lot about angels. I know a fellow who said his wife was an angel. He said she was always up in the air. He said she was always harping about something. And he said she never had anything to wear. But I do know, I, but I do know, that angels are intensely, extremely emotional beings. I know it for many reasons. I know it because Jesus, in one of his parables, told us that there is great rejoicing in the company of the angels over the repentance of one sinner. So I know that angels are expressive, strongly emotional creatures. So I can imagine, and I can only imagine, but I can imagine how ecstatic Gabriel must have been when he realized that out of all the innumerable angels in glory, he alone was chosen to go on Mission Nazareth, to carry the Annunciation to a humble maid in an obscure village in the hills of Galilee and to announce to this humble obscure maiden that she would be supernaturally she would supernaturally conceive of the Holy Ghost and bow and, and, and give birth to the Son of God the Savior of the world I can imagine and I can only imagine something of what it might have been like one day the Lord God Almighty called Gabriel up to his great white throne and the Lord God said, Gabriel I've been watching this human race for a long time and the Lord God said, Gabriel I have decided to become a human being and the Lord God said, Gabriel not only have I decided to become a human being but I've decided to enter human history and enter my uh, incarnation in time and history the same way that all human beings enter history. I have decided to become a little baby. The Word of God tells us angels do not faint, but I'm certain that Gabriel staggered. And Gabriel must have thrown up his hands and exclaimed, O oh Lord God Almighty, why would you want to become a little baby? And the Lord God Almighty said, Gabriel, I want to become a little baby because I've never been helpless. God said, Gabriel, you know I've never been helpless. God said, Gabriel, you were with me in the glory of my presence. You were present. You were an observer. You were a witness when I created the worlds. You were there when I flung the stars and the galaxies and the nebula, out into boundless space. You were there when my voice filled the inky black void and light splattered through the universe like colors of the palette of a great artist. Meteors streaked and comets soared and suns burned and moons glowed and stars glittered. And when I had completed it I was not the least bit diminished. Nor depleted. I was not weary. I was not tired. I was not exhausted. When I rested, and when Genesis says God rested, of course it doesn't mean that God was tired or that He needed physical rest. Some of the narrow understanding of things. Somebody came to me not long ago and said, do you believe that every word of the Bible is literally, literal? I said, no, I don't. If I did, I'd go around lying down in green pastures. (sighs) Give me a break. God. Didn't need to rest physically because he was tired. He who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. God never has taken a nap. God said, Gabriel, I've never been weary, I've never been helpless. But God said, Gabriel, nothing is more characteristic of these human beings than their constant experience of and encounter with feelings of helplessness besetting them on every side feelings of inadequacy feelings of inability to cope with the countless pressures and frustrations and demands and uncertainties and anxieties of human existence helplessness and never are they more helpless when they are a little baby. And I want to become a little baby because I want to enter into their helplessness. Is this too deep? (laughs) And then God said, Gabriel, not only do I want to become a little baby because I've never been helpless, God said, Gabriel I want to become a little baby because I've never been homesick. I've never been homesick. God said, Gabriel, you know that I can take the wings of the morning and swing out and soar out and go out to the uttermost stretches of the universe. I can take the wings in the morning and I can soar out to Neptune and." Pluto and Venus and Mars and Saturn and I can be there while I'm here and I can be and I can be here while I'm there because Gabriel it's all my turf and I'm at home anywhere I've never been homesick. But God said, Gabriel, I'm looking down through the avenues of approaching ages in the quarters of coming centuries, and I see a peasant couple taking the long journey, an equivalent of thousands of miles of modern travel. I see them taking the long weary journey, even though she was far advanced in her pregnancy, she was not exempt from Caesar's decree for enrollment in taxation. I see them taking the long weary journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And I see them approaching Bethlehem just before sunset one evening. Don't miss it. Bethlehem was the one place above all else in all this world please don't miss it Bethlehem was the one place in all this world for this couple where they should have been at home where they should have felt at home Where they should have been received, and recognized, and planned for, and prepared for, and invited, and embraced, and included. For did you not hear in the reading in verse 27, a descendant of David. This couple had roughly, think of it, this couple had roughly 900 unbroken years of ancestry in the city of David, Bethlehem direct ancestry. You talk about roots. We Americans, shucks. (laughs) Roots. Nowhere should they have felt more at home. But nobody met them. Nobody greeted them. Nobody received them. Nobody planned for them. Nobody prepared for them. Nobody included them in their arrangements. Nobody greeted them. Nobody embraced them. And they were homeless and homesick. The the epitome, the embodiment. I nearly went into unknown tongues on that one. That always wakes up Nazarenes. It works every time. They were the epitome the embodiment, the personification of the weary refugee and the displaced person in all ages and in all times, whether in Rwanda or in Galilee. And if you think for one moment that they don't represent modern life, do you realize their lives were being disrupted, upheaval was going on in their lives because of military and political and economic powers far from their shores, far from their hearth and their hamlet and their home village. And if you don't know today at this very moment, there are economic and political and military powers that are shaping the minute details of your daily life and mine. Hello? Homesick where they should have been at home. Homeless and homesick. Somebody said that the greatest sickness of humanity is homesickness. We call it by other names, psychologically and emotionally. We don't recognize it hardly ever. It is most often unconscious. Which one is it? Where's the psychological guru on the faculty here? Where we've got one. We've got to have one. God help us if we don't have one he's in therapy (laughs) 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 Uh, well that's interesting by the way I psychoanalyze Freud you ever heard the poem about the limerick about Freud there was a young man from Vienna who says we're all fit for Gehenna so the law is proved true and the prophets are too by this terrible Jew from Vienna where were we? <laughs> <laughs> Homesickness. Is it subconsciously or unconsciously? I think it's unconsciously, I'm not sure. <laughs> I was preaching camp meeting with Dr. V. H. Lewis and I said, how do you pronounce St. John of Constantinople, uh, St. John, is it Christostom? Dr. Lewis said, nobody here knows, said call it what you will. <laughs> they won't know the difference. unconsciously, un- unnamed, intuitively, instinctively, all of us yearn, long, seek, search for a place, a relationship, a location, or a community, a geographical, or a psychological, or an emotional community, a relationships, where we feel that we truly belong where we have identity where we have recognition where we're loved where we're needed where we're included we yearn for it we long for it we seek for it in so many ways not knowing what we really are doing we go back to an old house on a hill in Alabama that we called home and the old house is empty and it is and mama's gone and daddy's gone it's not home anymore It's just an old house. And we go back to a little town in the hills of Alabama that we call hometown. And the old people are dead. And our young friends have all moved away. And it's not hometown anymore. It's just a town. Oh, I'm not being melodramatic nor exaggerating when I tell you we seek for home and a sense of belonging. Oh, let me try to tell you what God did at Bethlehem. Bless my soul. You know what God did? I wish I could put it in fine theological terms, but I have to say it my way. You know what God did at Bethlehem? God himself became homeless and homesick so that nobody else ever again needs to be homesick or homeless. So that no matter who excludes you or includes you in their little clique, no matter who wants you or does not want you, likes you or does not like you at Bethlehem, you are wanted, you are needed, you are loved, you are imported, you are accepted, you are embraced. You are planned for, you are expected, you are prepared for, you belong, you have a home. Hallelujah. You have a home. Oh, how well the poet put it when he said, to an older place than Eden and a taller town than Rome to the end of the way of the wandering star to the place where God was homeless and all men are at home. Welcome. You're invited. You, immediately, personally, individually, Presently, you are invited to God's Christmas party. And you have a home. You have a home that's secure from the storms and the ravages of time and transition and death and destruction. You have a home at Bethlehem. You have an ancestry at Bethlehem you have a family at Bethlehem you have a home and your home and mine is in God Himself in whom we live and move and have our being but God said Gabriel not only do I want to become a little baby because I've never been helpless and I've never been homesick God said, Gabriel, I want to become a little baby because I've never been huggable. 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 I like it. You like it? Say it with me. Huggable. Say it again. Huggable. H-U-G-G-A-B-L-E. Get some music, have a Nashville hit. This is a snappy sermon. H-U-G-G-A-B-L-E. Now, if you're prudish, if you're prudish or squeamish, and uncomfortable with my use of the word huggable to describe God don't you dare tell anybody for you will reveal that you have an utterly abysmal ignorance of the holy scriptures as much so as the two fellows who got into an argument one said to the other I bet you can't say the Lord's Prayer the other one said I'll bet you I can, I bet you I can't, I can, I bet you can, I bet I can't I can, back and forth finally the challenger said go ahead and do it he said I'll give you twenty dollars if you can so he started in now lay me down to sleep I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake I pray the Lord my soul to take the fellow reached in his pocket got out the twenty dollars and handed it to him if you have a squeamish huggable it's all the way through the Bible we call it anthropomorphic language please be impressed <laughs> anthropomorphic language It means to describe God in physical terms it's all the way through the Bible of course it's symbolic language there we go about the literal and the symbolic again of course it's symbolic language for Jesus at the curbstone of Jacob's well said to the Samaritan woman, God is spirit. Not a spirit. The authorized is wrong. The NIV is right. The Nazarene International Version is correct. <laughs> God is spirit. So it's symbolic language. It's poetic language. But it's the poetry of the Holy Ghost. Somebody say amen. It's all the way through the book. He will guide us with his eye. His ear is not deaf. His arm is not shortened. He will hold us in the hollow of His hand. Underneath are the everlasting arms. How do you like that Schwarzenegger pose? (laughs) Underneath are the everlasting arms. Underneath what? Underneath the deepest, lowest point, a ravine of sorrow, a grief, or tragedy, or heartache, or desperation you ever experienced underneath it all are the everlasting arms. And if you love Him and sincerely seek to serve Him, you can never, never, never. You can never, never, never. That's Nazarene eternal security. If you love Him and sincerely want to serve Him, you can never, don't miss it, don't miss it. There's a better way to live than being a spiritual hypochondriac. You can... Oh, bless my soul, This is autobiographical. You can tune in if you want to. I'm preaching to myself right now. You can never, never, never get underneath the underneath of the everlasting arms. And if he can get his arm under you at the lowest point, if he can get his arm under you at the lowest point, don't you think he can get his arm? Say it aloud. Don't you think he can get his arm? You're a little slow. Don't you think it is can get around you? What is that? Huggable. Huggable. That's a hug. I'm going to give you the whole secret of the gospel in one word, one phrase. The whole meaning and mystery and wonder and splendor and potency and relevance of the gospel is that in the incarnation, as Muggeridge puts it, God is giving propositions of love. And in the incarnation, God is telling us that God wants to hug us. God wants to hug you personally. God said, Gabriel, I've been watching these people, these human beings for a long time. But God said, Gabriel, not only have I been watching them for a long time, but they've been watching me for a long time. God said, Gabriel, they have seen me in the thunder and the storm cloud. They have seen me in the smoke and the fire of Sinai. They have seen me in the arcing colors of the rainbow. They've seen me in the golden burst of of dawn and the crimson glow of sunset. God said Gabriel you cannot hug a sunset and you cannot hug a rainbow and you cannot hug a storm cloud but God said Gabriel you can hug a little baby and I want to enter into that kind of love he says Gabriel they they get so full of love I want to become a little baby because Never do these human beings become so full and overflowing and fervent and warm and intense and expressive and exuberant with their love than when they're holding a little baby. When they're holding that little baby, especially a newborn baby, when they're holding that little baby, they become so thrilled. They become so full of love. Holding that little baby, they begin to speak in other tongues. or the dean. They begin to speak in other tongues. Ga ga ga. <laughs> goo goo goo. Itchy gitcha itch, goo. And I'm certain that there are qualified interpreters present. <laughs> God wants to hug you. If, staggering thought, if I could comprehend completely, conclusively, entirely, if I could comprehend fully and entirely every art, every science, every discipline, every area of human learning and knowledge, every philosophy, if I could completely comprehend and understand it all and completely, clearly, fully convey and communicate all that knowledge to you this morning, I could not tell you anything more powerful, more wonderful, more awesome, more enrapturing, more healing, more liberating, more transforming than to tell you that just now, immediately, presently, personally, individually, the eternal, everlasting, almighty Creator God, personally, loves you he loves you fully right now if you'll get into that it has potential for doing something that psychiatrists dream about If you'll get into that, it has potential for healing all your inferiority complex, all your low self-esteem. The eternal God truly loves you personally right now with a love that will never be fickle. And you can get into that love. And you can live in that love. And you can luxurate in that love. And to use a hillbilly phrase for lack of a better one. You can wallow. You can wallow. You can wallow every day. Say that word, I like it. Wallow. You can wallow every moment in the love of God. You can rest in that love. You can live in that love. And when you rest in that, oh my word. Karl Barth, perhaps the most influential theologian of the 20th century, certainly in the Protestant world. Karl Barth, the great Swiss theologian. Someone came to him and asked him what was the most, the greatest thought he had ever had. Karl Barth answered, not facetiously, totally seriously. Karl Barth said, The greatest thought that ever entered my mind is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You can live in that love, you can rest in that love, you can wallow in that love. And when you live in that love, every night is Christmas, and every morning is Easter, and every day is Pentecost. And every evening at gathering dusk you find yourself on your own personal Emmaus road where a stranger comes and walks with you and talks with you and opens up the Word of God to you and comes in and sups with you. And you can live every day in that love. Let us stand. but he is strong. Sing it. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. For Bible tells me so. Now the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom be glory forever and ever. If Mrs. Stelting would play Jesus Loves Me, give us some recessional music or some going out of church music. God bless you. You're dismissed.